Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Obadiah as we look at major principles from the most minor, meaning shortest, books of the Bible, the most minor of the prophets. And I want to read a very um, relevant text of Scripture for today. You wouldn't think that somebody who is so obscure, even in Scripture, could have so much to say uh, to today's time and the nations of the world today, but they do because it's words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, always relevant. And today we look at the fifth principle from the book of Obadiah, and I want to read from verse 3 through verse 9. So, are you ready for the reading of the Word of God? Say amen. Amen. All right. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers come to thee, Would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and have prevailed against thee. They they that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. This morning we have the fifth principle that we have been... these among the principles we have been finding in the book of Obadiah. And this principle is that God hates pride. God hates pride. One pastor uh, named Richard Caldwell observes that pride is the common thread of all destruction in all of history. And so I take his definition of pride, his observation, and make it the title of 
our message this morning, the theme of this text, the common cord of destruction. Pride destroys everything. Every war, every broken relationship, every split church, every broken home, every dysfunctional family, every, sadly, every nation that is divided and harsh, you can take all of those destructions of our culture and society and somewhere in the mix is a cord of pride that runs all the way through it. If you think about it in history, the wars and the shapers of, of history, world history, have not been nations. They've been people, many of them arrogant people. Hitler, Tojo, some of the warmongers of the past have all been men of great pride and arrogance. And today we're seeing the same exact thing in our politics. If we could just slay the pride in Washington, D.C., I think our nation may get a little better. Uh, but uh, it's a common thread of all destruction. Let's look at it through the Bible real quick uh, in the way of an introduction. It was the sin of Satan, according to Isaiah 14. Pride was the part was part of the sin of Sodom, Ezekiel chapter uh, 16 and verse 48. We think Sodom, uh, the sin of Sodom was, was uh, homosexuality and, and uh, sexual perversion, but Ezekiel 16 says one of the major sins of the city of Sodom was its pride. Hence we have Pride Month in June. Pride is in the heart of sinful people. He said, Jesus would say, That which cometh out of the man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, Foolishness, all these things come from within and defile the man is what Jesus said. Pride is one, according to 1 John chapter 2, is one of the three avenues by which every temptation you ever have comes through. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Pride is at the root of division, envy, Jealousy and hate, the book of Proverbs teaches us that. Pride is among the things that the people of a reprobate mind do, according to Romans chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. 2 Timothy 3 says that pride will be a prominent sin in the last days, and it certainly is. On and on we could go. It is no wonder that God, according to Proverbs 6, hates Pride. God hates pride. You and I will never be able to have a proper relationship and fellowship and reverence and service 
for God and with God and unto God unless we learn to hate our pride and slay our pride. I will tell you from first personal experience, the time I experience distance from my Lord is when I am exercising pride in my heart and mind, whether it be at home or at church or dealing with people or what have you. Pride is a monster. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the prideful or arrogant mouth, the forward mouth, do I hate, God says. It's very interesting, but I just went through a few of these things that the Bible has to say about pride, and most of them, most of them come directly from the book of Proverbs. And many of them have references in the book of Proverbs. Well, all of them do have some reference in the book of Proverbs. It's very interesting that the text that deal with pride and the devastation of pride are found in the book of Proverbs, the very practical book for everyday relationships, for my friendship with you and yours with me, our relationships with one another. And so it's very interesting that pride is soundly addressed in in the book that gives us general truths for day-to-day, everyday relationships and living. Pride is something that must be dealt with practically, fully, daily, and if you're anything like me, sometimes every quarter hourly or one-tenth hourly. Let's just say it. Perhaps sometimes every moment. Amen. Can God get amen with that? It's amazing that Proverbs deal with it. Well, the prophet Obadiah is dealing with pride, the pride of the people of Edom, the descendants of Esau, the nation of Edom in the book of Obadiah. And he tells us two things about pride. Now, you might say, oh, just two things. We'll be out of here in 10 minutes. I have too much pride to let you out in 10 minutes. One point has zero subpoints, but the second point has a bunch of subpoints. And I take great pride in what I've written today. <laughs> Let's look and see, first of all, where pride dwells. In verses 3, verse 3a, the pride of thine heart, he says. Pride is in the heart, it's in the you of you. No one is immune to it because we all have a sinful heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Pride is so subtle in our hearts that we don't even know we are exercising or manifesting pride. Sometimes we think we are are just demanding our rights when all in all it is simply an arrogant pride. I think of the pride that we see in individual characters of the Bible. Second Chronicles speaks of the pride of Hezekiah's heart who would not obey the prophet. Daniel 5 speaks of the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, that wicked king who had every opportunity and what a witness Nebuchadnezzar had. I read it this morning in my 
daily devotions. I started reading Daniel this morning and I read where Daniel went and interpreted that dream and Nebuchadnezzar said, there is not a God like your God. And then just two chapters later, he's building an image to himself. You ever notice that? It's interesting that image that Nebuchadnezzar designed was all gold and he was the golden head of that image. And then we're going to, I'm going to read in a few, in a day or two about when, well, probably tomorrow, where God struck him down. Pride brought his destruction. Pride in the heart, indeed all that is in the heart, is deceitful and desperately wicked and subtle, hidden and covered up. Only God knows the heart. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We have to have the Word of God in our minds so we can know what our heart is up to. Pride dwells in the heart. And then in verses, the rest of the text, verses 3b through 9, he, just, he tells us how pride deceives us. It can be very deceptive. And I want to highlight several areas where pride is deceptive. Now, we're going to stick with the text because, remember, he's writing to Judah about the Edomites, the nation of Edom. But yet, all Scripture, as we learned in our first message from Obadiah, may not be written to you, but it's written for you, and then we'll make some application and learn some lessons about pride from this very humble prophet Obadiah. First of all, pride blinds us to our weakness. Look at verses 3 and 4. Obadiah says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, those of you who dwell in the rock, the clefts of the rock. We sing an old hymn called, I've anchored my soul in the cleft of the rock. That is not a reference from Obadiah. That's a reference to Moses. This is a different kind of rock. This is an arrogant rock. And he says, you that dwell up there in the clefts of the rock, who habitations on high, you've said in that prideful heart of yours, who can bring us down to the ground? Who can destroy us? He said, you exalt yourself like an eagle. You set your nest among the stars. He says, but I'm going to bring you down. So pride blinds us to our weakness. It is a fascinating thing to me that the Edomites boasted in what they perceived as a major strength, two major strengths, which were really uh, not strengths to God. And I submit to you that these two strengths are what we rest in, in our nation, to some extent. First of all, pride blinds you to the weakness of, our, of protection. Protection. Due to the geography of Edom, they thought they were impregnable. They, they really believed they could not be conquered by any force on earth at the time. They made their home in the stronghold of Petra, what we call Petra. In the Bible, it's called Seir sometimes. Today, we call it Petra. 
And I want to read to you from um, um, a description, uh, a historical description of the discovery of Petra. This is from uh, James Montgomery Boyce. Due to her unique geographical situation, Edom was almost impregnable. For years, the extraordinary nature of her defenses was unknown to biblical scholars due to the fact that the real stronghold of Edom at Petra was lost to the Western world. Widely known in ancient times and greatly admired, it was lost to Western knowledge for nearly 1,000 years until rediscovered by the Swiss explorer Johann Ludwig Burckhardt in 1812. Burkhardt had heard rumors of the city and wanted to see it. So knowing that the Arabs of the region would normally never allow him to enter the city, he informed them that he had made a vow to offer a goat to Aaron, the ancient high priest of Israel, upon the traditional site of Aaron's tomb. This was located on a mountain that rolls above the city. Since the Arab guides could make no objection to a holy vow, Burkhart was permitted to go find it, to enter in. The sight that burst on the wandering eyes of Burkhart is remarkable. The city is entered through a narrow winding gorge or canyon called a Sikh. This is about a mile long and is in no place really very wide. On the average, it is about 15 feet from wall to wall. A conduit for a small stream runs along its length, and as one makes his way through this breathtaking canyon, he notes remnants of ancient pavement, a carved aqueduct, and the beginning of many thousands of ornately carved caves in the walls. The caves served as homes for those who once lived there. Toward the end of the passage, the traveler suddenly comes on the first of the magnificent buildings that have been carved into the face of the rock. It was the temple of Al-Khazni, which towers upward for 130 feet above the canyon floor. How impregnable it all seems. Experts say that because of the configurations of this path, this seek, through which Petra is entered, it would be possible for only 12 men to defend it against a whole army. Again, even if the Sikh were breached, it would be possible for the inhabitants of the city to carry on a successful defense from the mountains. From a human perspective, it is hard to imagine a safer spot than Edom and its capital city of Petra. It is understandable that the inhabitants might well say, as Obadiah reports the citizens of Edom, as saying, who can bring me down to the ground. That's where they were. That's what they thought was their protection. And so much was their pride. They considered themselves to soar like eagles and rest among the stars and to be as secure as the stars. Verse 5, they said, Who can tear us down? But God says... I see your soaring pride like an eagle, and I see your settled pride like the stars. I will bring you down. I will bring you down. 
And that's exactly what God did. I will bring you down. So their pride deceived them as to the weakness of their protection. Second of all, to the weakness of prosperity. Verse 5 talks about thieves and poachers coming to their vineyards. A major trade route ran right by, right through Edom. It was called the King's Highway. When crossing the desert, all trade, all trade had to pass through Edom. So Edom's customs agents would put up stations along the King's Highway. And there they would halt the merchant caravans from Arabia, from Persia, from Egypt, Tyre, and even as far away as Greece. They would stop these caravans. And you had a choice. If you were a merchant, you could either pay the imposed taxes to pass through or forfeit your cargo. And Edom became wealthy. Great prosperity came about because of that trade route. And the Edomites filled their caves with treasuries in the lofty heights of Petra, with wealth from the east and the west. And God says, I am going to plunder you. You think your prosperity makes you strong? I am going to plunder you. That's what he says in our text. He says it in a unique way. He says, if a thief makes it through the passageway, climbs up the rocks and gets into your caves, he's only going to steal what he can carry. He's not going to get everything. He says, if poachers came and snuck into your vineyards, much and leave some grapes in your vineyard. And then Obadiah says, but the Lord God says, I am taking everything. There won't be a grape left. And I'm going to bring you down. Can you imagine that? So pride will blind us to our weakness. You know, the, the Edomites were militarily strong, economically strong, but they were morally in shambles, as we'll see next week. If you read much American history, you will see that at the onset of World War II, our nation was morally strong, but militarily weak. And then at the end of World War II, we have the Cold War. And we, will, we have been, during that time, somewhat more so militarily strong, but we were morally weak. Today, if you read the news and keep up with it, you will see that we are neither militarily strong, as we have been in the past, nor are we as morally strong as we have been in the past. That kind of makes me want to pray for our country. And so you have the pride of weakness, how it blinds you to your weakness. And then another thing, we have verse 6 and 7, we have pride blinds us to our wickedness. Pride will blind us to our wickedness. Look at verse 6 and 7. First of all, the wickedness of our arrogance. 
How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? Hidden to them, they were blinded by their pride, but God sees it. God is the searcher of the heart. In verses 10 and following, we're going to deal with next week, we see the very sins of Edom that that they, they couldn't comprehend as being something that God would judge, and we'll get into that next week. But uh, there's an arrogance about wickedness that when we're blinded by that pride, the wickedness of our arrogance, the arrogant heart that calls good evil and evil good. We pick and choose which sins to justify, which violence is criminal and which violence is not criminal. We have listened to what the devil told Adam and Eve Eat of this forbidden fruit and you will be like God. Now that does not mean that they will have God-like character and God-like traits. What the devil was telling them, eat of this forbidden fruit, go ahead and do it so you can be like God and you get to determine what's right and what's wrong. You get to have the authority for morality and immorality. You get to do and say what is evil and what is good. And so today, it's very obvious, we live in a culture that calls good evil and evil good. And so a pride of of our wickedness, of our arrogance, and that's what they were doing. You won't have to listen to God. You get to determine your own way. Forget the Scriptures. Forget the Ten Commandments. Forget the Sermon on the Mount. Live your own way. And the arrogance is to accept that lie. Pride also blinds us to the wickedness of our allies. Look at verse 7. The pride of Edom made them think that they had favor among the nations. Uh, They thought themselves to have developed allies. And they relied upon their protection and prosperity and And hopefully an enemy would never get to them because of the allies outside their great walls. And they made deals and they made agreements. They thought they had allies who would join them in their defenses. But God says in this verse 7, He says, you don't have any allies. He says, you have made deals and they have eaten your bread, but He says they're going to wound you. He says... um, You uh, have confederacies that have come to your border and uh, they are at peace with you, but they have deceived you. They are really not your allies. They are a wicked nations just like you. You don't have any allies. Your pride has blinded you not only to your own wickedness, but also to the wickedness of your so-called allies. I had a professor who said one time that he said, no nation, including America, has allies. Well, I I thought about that, and somebody asked him, what do you mean we don't have any allies? He said, nations only have shared interest. He said, that's all we have is shared interest. And I think we need to keep that in mind today. Notice the last phrase of verse 7, there is none understanding in him. This is God's estimation. It just doesn't make sense to trust in allies. In Jeremiah's day, when Nebuchadnezzar was knocking at the door, 
many of the Israelites, the, 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 the Jews, they wanted to rely on Egypt. And God said relying on Egypt is like a man leaning on a staff and it breaks through and pierces through his hand. Foreign alliances. He says, woe unto those who trust in the horses and chariots of Egypt. I am the Lord. You trust me. But they were trusting in their allies. And it was wicked allies. Verse 8 gives us another thing that pride blinds us to. Pride blinds us to our wisdom. Look at verse 8. Shall I not in that day, the day he will destroy Edom, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? Well, pride blinds us to our wisdom. Obadiah speaks to the pride of wisdom apart from God. God says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom out of Egypt. All this ungodly wisdom, he says, is going to be destroyed and wiped out. It will not stand. All nations and all peoples have their sages. The wise old sayings of our history. Much of it is true and accurate. But I want to tell you something. The new stuff is off, isn't it? The new stuff is off. Follow your heart. You think you're a woman and you were born a man, you're a woman. That's, that's not very good wisdom, is it? Well, God told the Edomites, you have your wisdom and you have your wise sages and I'm going to destroy them. And then also pride blinds us to our war-making ability. Look at verse 9. And the, thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Teman was a major city in northern Edom, according to Jeremiah 49. And God says in these two verses, the sages nor the soldiers will be able to save Edom. God is going to cut off Esau or Edom by slaughter. The Babylonians would eventually come. And they would take Judah first. And then they would take the Babylonians. Then they would take the Edomites. Then eventually the Romans would come. As we'll see in a few weeks. And the Romans would eventually in 70 AD end the Edomites. We know that happened because you've never met an Edomite. And God says, I'll, you are blind by your pride for your war-making ability. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16, 18. So you say, well, preacher, if I came to First Baptist today to be blessed and encouraged, I, you failed. Well, I think I have. But we got to be true to the text, amen? I mean, that's why we're here for the Bible, for the text. But let me give you some takeaways uh, just a few takeaways I hope will encourage you. First of all, there's the national takeaway. We need to pray for our country. We need to be in prayer for our country. Obadiah hit on this last week. We do not need to trust in any political party or any candidate, this preference or that preference. We need to talk to the Lord and pray. And it does you no good to sit in front of the television and talk back to Sean Hannity. 
or CNN. It does you absolutely no good. As a matter of fact, it gets your blood pressure up. It disturbs you. It doesn't make for a good day. You need to talk to the Lord. Talk to God about our country. It is God who raises up a nation. And it is God who takes down a nation. It is God who will give favor to a nation in the eyes of the other nations. God and God alone can do such a thing. God and God alone. If we are going to save America, we have to get Americans saved. So I will tell you this, be a soul winner. If you're a Christian and you know how to be saved, and if you're saved, you know how to be saved, because you were saved. Amen? Who will be your mission? Who will you share the gospel with? Who will you see redeemed by the hand of the Lord, cleansed by the blood of Christ, by way of your tongue for them, sharing the gospel. That's what the church is here for. That's what the church is here for. That's our mission. Our mission is not anything else but world evangelism and making disciples. That's what we're called to do. And so who will be your mission? Nationally, pray for the lost. Locally, win people to Jesus. Share the gospel of Christ. That's what God has called us to do. And personally, humble yourselves before God. Let me read to you some verses of the Bible. Matthew 18, 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. James chapter 4 and verse 10, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. And there are many other texts of Scripture. You, which is also in Christ Jesus, though he thought it not robbery, something to be grasped at, to be equal with God, he humbled himself and became a servant, took on the form of a servant, born in a manger. And so we humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, how in the world do you humble yourself? We have all this instruction in these commands of God and these promises of God that if we humble ourselves, He will exalt us in His due time. How in the world do we humble ourselves? You ever ask that question? How do I humble myself? Well, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit will help us and empower us to do so, but one place you start out with is the mouth. Amen. One place we start out is with the mouth. So husbands, the next time 
you think there's an argument coming, humble yourself and be quiet. And pride will not enter your marriage at that moment. And you can be happy all day long in the Lord. Amen? Humble yourself. Start with the mouth. <laughs> Humble yourself. Yeah, I guess I better. Wives? Husbands are told to love you. Amen. All right. Anybody, you humble yourself before the Lord. You pray and you ask the Lord to show you your sin, to show you your heart because only He knows it. You be in the Word of God and you let God's Word be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. And you ask God to help you apply it. And then you serve. And when you do what you do for the Lord, you ask Him to help you recognize that it is simply because of your gift, of the gift He gave you, the spiritual gift He gave you. It is not some talent or some ability that you have innate within you that glorifies God and blesses the people and helps in the cause of the church. It is the very grace of God and it's a journey I know I'm still on it sometimes I get off on a rest stop do you amen well I do too that's a hard thing pride but don't let it blind you ask God to give you spiritual eyes and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and you be obedient to the Lord. And that's really where it starts, just being obedient to the Lord. Just being obedient to the Lord. One of the wonderful things I've learned from our young people on a Proverbs with a Pastor trip some years ago, I think we were in Dallas and we were talking about um, attitudes and doing the right thing and having a good attitude. And, and I asked the question, I said, what if it's just so hard and so difficult to have a good attitude about something? What, what do you do? I mean, I was once a teenager, and I know how hard it is, you know. Amen. We all once teenagers, and we got teenagers in this room. You know, um, what was it James Dobson said? James Dobson said, when they become adolescents, put them in a box and drill holes in the box. And then he said, when they become teenagers, plug the holes. <laughs> well, I haven't experienced that with our young people at all, nor with my children. I think my parents might have experienced that with my brother and sister. But anyway, I want to tell you this, what they said. I said, how do you? I said, I think you, you could pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And then one of them raised their hand and said, you fake it till you make it. You fake it till you make it. What does that mean? You just do it. You just obey whether you feel like it or not. Amen? Whether you feel like it or not. You just serve whether you feel like it or not. You say thank you whether you feel like you deserve it or not. You humble yourself. And soon the thoughts, that thought will become established in you. And you recognize it. Humble yourself.
before the Lord. And I want to tell you, if you are not born again, perhaps you're here today, and if I were to ask the question which I'm about to do, are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, and you can't answer that yes with affirmative confidence in the Lord, affirmative confidence in what Scripture says about the Lord Jesus and about you, then I want to tell you, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself before the Lord. And you don't come with merit. You don't come with any merit. You don't come with any goodness to the Lord. You come humbly, dirty in your sin. Next year, the Lord willing, in January, we're going to be preaching through 2 Samuel. And I wrote my second message from 2 Samuel a couple of weeks ago. And it's about when this Amalekite looter came out of the camp of Saul when Saul was killed. And he brings to David, who is now the king. And he brings to David the crown and the bracelet that he looted from the battlefield of Saul. And he tells, he, he tells some, some lies about himself. And he makes himself look real good. And David asks him a series of questions. And he is exposed for what he really is. And we're going to talk about approaching the king that day when we preach that. But I want to tell you, if you want to be saved, you have to humble yourself and there is no crown... Anything good you have to bring, you have looted. So don't lie about it when you come to the king. Humble yourself before the Lord. And you tell him of your sin and you confess your sin. And you beseech him for mercy and grace. Salvation comes by the grace of God. If there's any merit in us, anything we can boast about at all, according to Ephesians 2, it's not of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so you humble yourself, and you come before this merciful King who will receive you because He will exalt you in due time. He will give grace to the humble. The Edomites never did humble themselves. As a matter of fact, one of the last Edomites we see hates God so much and is so arrogant, he thinks he can stop the coming of Christ by killing Him as a baby. He's so arrogant and so prideful. And so you come humbly before the Lord. And you know what? If you are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit today, you know that's the only way you can come to the Lord. That's the only way you can come to the Lord. You know it. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He loves you and cares for you, and He's speaking to you. And He wants you to come to the Lord for mercy and grace, and you come humbly. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Lord, it's all you. It's all you. And I pray you'd come to the Lord in that way. Let's stand for our song of appeal. 
This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.